Well, thank you very much for the kind introduction and also for the invitation to the Institute. Um, it's, I think, a very exciting context to uh, discuss here because you have uh, projects on diversity in Japan and also on uh, regional developments. So I hope we will have a vivid discussion later on. Um, I will start with this idea of gender order. I think we do have a problem now because many people say women are equal anyway. We do not need any more policies. Everything is fine. How to analyze this gender inequalities in modernity? The concept of patriarchy, I guess, is a bit outdated. It was uh, connected with this idea of unilineal domination of old men over women, and it was not seen why women uh, submit to that, what kind of agency they have, what kind of strategies. And also there was a very problematic idea of patriarchy being the same all over the world. And what we have in Europe, we have in Japan, and of course in other parts. So actually I've been thinking about this context of concept of gender order. I think it's a useful category for analyzing gender inequalities in modernity. Because if you look at an order, you can look at different groups in different positions in this order. You can wonder how the women also have different positions and why they might resist or why they might also in some parts agree to this kind of order. So it conceives of inequal power relations and divisions of labor, but also of women's agency resistance. And you, in a gender order, you can imagine that women also have relative fields of power, like it used to be said of the famous Japanese housewife and mother. Yeah, so I like this concept. It also comprehends variations and changeability, mutability in gender hierarchies. So if we talk, how can we talk about this society today? Is there any inequality left? We can look at changes if we look at the gender order. And on one hand, we have multiple modernities. And in this context, we do not have this Eurocentric idea. Everything like in the West, but gender orders are located like in Germany or in South Africa, former German colony, and they develop in their own multiple ways. So you conceive of multiple gender orders. And as I said already, they can change as well. Now, my main contention is that presently gender orders in post-industrial welfare societies, not all over the world, in these societies, are transforming to different based gender orders, and I will explain what I think this is in a minute, to uh, flexible gender orders. And there we have diverse developments, like between Germany and Japan, but also converging developments, and I will go into that later. And this change of gender orders is driven by uh, contradictory forces, maybe. On one hand, the economy, and capitalism has invited women on the labor market in a large scale, but very often in irregular forms. The welfare state has opened up education and human capital formation for women as well, 
women's movement have negotiated that and have said, we don't want the old order, we want something new. Okay, so I think what is happening now cannot be explained by one model, but rather we can look what is happening in different fields and what does it mean altogether. Now, talking about gender order, of course, uh, I asked myself, what is the social meaning of gender? And I really think it changed very much. So, 150 years ago, gender meant women. Women, meet, women were the persons who had a gender, and men were kind of neutral citizens. <laughs> then this concept of gender was um, changed towards the concept of the couple. One man, one woman. And if you look into social uh, science uh, research, very often in empirical research you find just that. Count men, count women, look at them at couples, and this is the idea of gender. And now the last 15 years we had this gender in motion, going up into the air. We have very different ways of thinking about gender, and not only in academia, but also in everyday life. If you talk to young people, and I guess if you go a bit more around here the corner in Harajuku, <laughs> you're going to find experimental fields, how people uh, have new ideas about gender, how they perform that, how they leave it again, and so on. So I think if we talk about gender, and here I only want to talk about gender in the context of social structure. I'm not talking about um, cultural meanings or everyday uh, practices, but the way gender as a category shapes social structure. I think we have three dimensions. One is this organizing principle of power relations and division of labor, paid and unpaid labor, and structures come out of that. You have so many women in parliament and so many men. Today I had a very interesting uh, time watching uh, the Japanese government uh, debating in the Senate about the issues I'm talking about. And you could see the women are, have uh, entered the cabinet, but they are not the majority. And the women have entered the parliament, but they are not the majority. So, of course, this means something in terms of political power. And this structuring, positioning dimension of the gender category, certain persons are being placed at certain positions along the axis of gender equality. This should be connected, I think, with other um, relations of inequality like class or like migration. And I will come back to that in the end. But then we have gender in another way. What is legitimate and what is um, considered not uh, acceptable to society? And there we have the whole queer critique Gender is an organizing principle of uh, exclusion and inclusion according to desires. And, of course, in German history you have the problem that, for example, homosexuality of men was prohibited until maybe 50 years ago. So it was not possible to show that at all. And um, so this has changed now. And we have sexual diversity. 
what used to be absolutely excluded now becomes included and negotiated. And I think we have to look at the second dimension of gender, an organizing principle of exclusion and inclusion according to desire or sexuality. And we have seen an incredibly rapid shift in the last 50 years in this context. And the third uh, dimension is only becoming now the idea of correct gendered bodies, organized inclusion and exclusion. And I show you this photo of an interperson. This is for a youth group of young uh, interpersons who meet and to talk about their bodies and their experience because they do not fit into this male or female model. And this has big consequences. Like in Germany, you cannot get married if you are an interperson because marry is, uh, marriage is only possible between male and female persons. So if you are neither male or female, yeah, <laughs> you are excluded in a way. <laughs> and so to look at gender and social structure, I would like to propose this wide definition, which includes three dimensions of inequality. One, social structuring. The other one, exclusion, inclusion by sexuality and inclusion, exclusion by uh, bodies. And I think this is part of the gender order, and we only start looking at this now because it's shaking in things which used to be so invisible and self-understood become visible now. So after I said a little bit about what I think, in which ways we could think about gender, we come to the gender order. This is a concept which is proposed by mostly Raven Connell, and she said these are the power relations between gender, like I said in politics, this example, the division of labor, who becomes a housewife or maybe a houseman. Uh, and I talked about these ones shortly, norming sexualities, norming bodies, but I will concentrate on that. And the important uh, contribution of the Bir uh, German sociologist Birgit Paul Effinger was to say a gender order is legitimized by culture. And she had a rather narrow concept of this culture. She said it's uh, if we accept the breadwinner housewife model, so the man going out to work, the woman staying at home, this is for me the typology of gender orders. As I uh, pointed out, I try to bring in a more comprehensive idea of gender with the three dimensions of gender structuring uh, social inequality. And so, as I said, I am working on this concept gender order in order to understand what's happening now. And to do that, I think Many people will say in work everything is getting so flexible. In the family uh, research they say everything is getting so flexible. In politics they say oh, boundaries are being redrawn. So I propose to look at that all together. Not only one trend but to integrate that and to see it as dynamics. So to have a dynamic and cross-cutting perspective on these changes 
This is what motivated my argument for uh, maybe flexibilized gender order. The second one is that we also have to look at a historical perspective if we want to know what's going on. And in this context, I introduce this concept of gender order. I say in modernity, we have three gender orders. And the first one is the neopatrical one. The second one is what I call difference-based gender order in Fordism or Toyotism. And the third one is still a question mark or hypothesis. What is happening now? But I think it's important to uh, not say up to now we only had neopatriarchy and men were ruling uh, and so on because history has happened. So, yeah, these are the forces shaping these changes. I wanted to just mention them very shortly on a very abstract level. As I said, it's capitalism and the markets, the enterprises, it's, it's the politics, it's social movement, and it's how diverse genders behave, how they shape their lives, so the social actors. And now I would like to give you a very uh, bird view, short uh, travel through these uh, gender orders. So I will try to start with the neopatriarchal gender order in Germany. And I said it's gender culture, it's uh, politics, and it's division of labor. So in the gender culture, it was clear that men are better and superior to women. Women are somewhat limited creatures, also by their sex and their gender, they're natural mothers, and they should stay at home. And of course, they need a protector, which is their husband. And so this idea of male superiority uh, is very basic for this neopatriarchal gender order. And the second um, big um, advent was to separate the public, politics, and the economy from the home. So it was formally separated, but of course it was interrelated. And so politics and public economy, the public sphere, was supposed to be under control of um, men. And if anybody speaks uh, German, uh, we still have the immortal verses of Friedrich Schiller, Der Mann muss hinaus ins feindliche Leben. Man has to go out in this enemy uh, public uh, competition. Und drin waltet die züchtige Hausfrau. And the housewife is working inside, full of virtue as she is. So this was uh, the, not only political philosophy, but also the actual structure in uh, the middle class at least. A man had legal authority over their wife and children in the family law. In the emerging welfare state, this breadwinner housewife model was rooted, and until today, women used to have only second status entitlements to social security before they entered the labor market in big numbers. Male homosexuality was, uh, homosexuality was illegal, and female homosexuality was tabooed, so it was more or less a civil death to be known as a homosexual. This is what we can't imagine anymore, but sexual diversity was not there, it was men and women. And now women's movement um, 
argued against that. They demanded education, equality at work, and suffrage. And in many ways, they were successful. In Germany, as well as in Japan, they could reach legal equality, both in post-war constitutions. This is very interesting, very parallel development. Mm -hmm. And because now there is such a big debate about constitutions, well, German voting rights were achieved after the First World War, but no, public, uh, no private equality. The family law from the neopatrical time was still valid until the 1970s. In Japan, women gained the suffrage, but you have to see that the women's suffrage uh, organizations were able to pass the law for suffrage in the lower house already in 1938. So it was not a gift from the USA, and not something where U.S. Uh, SCAP came in and said, oh, let's liberate the woman. But there had been long struggles and one big victory. The upper house did not uh, accede to that, and so uh, women's suffrage couldn't be passed. But it's also really a national development. So after legal equality was passed, and the idea got more popular that men and women are equal, basically, but completely different. So this idea, separation of spheres, uh, with uh, an understanding of equality in completely different roles, spread in Germany as well as in Japan. And it was linked to this male-female couple. So in a way, you can say it's very heteronormative. Uh, the leading ideology was a biological gender difference. The most famous sociologist of the world, Talcott Parsons, wrote an article where he wrote about the uh, differentiation of systems and that men are made for economy and politics and women by biology are made for the subsystem of culture and the family. So this, uh, what I'm quoting now, was uh, everyday uh, knowledge some uh, 50 years ago. Homosexuality, again, was illegal and tabooed. So in the gender order now, you have a paralleling uh, of diverse worlds. Politics are male sphere. The breadwinner housewife model was universalized. And uh, men are wage workers. Women naturally do unpaid work and education work. And this was very plausible. I put in here two advertisements it was clear that the women saw themselves like that. Mm -hmm. And actually, I also was raised with this idea, you give somebody. <laughs> and I think it's very interesting to look at these photos from Italian artists <laughs> who pose with the same posture. And suddenly you wonder, what do they guys uh, want? <laughs> so it becomes kind of very <laughs> unnatural once uh, you switch the gender. <laughs> So it was part of the female habitus. And I think many women saw this as a compromise in their life to have stability and to live with children. But it was different space. It was not the idea that men are so much better and have to rule in every uh, place uh, or corner of the family. But women have the family, men have work and politics, and both have a balance. Of course, men have more power in this kind of arrangement. And what we see now, and I think also the conflicts we have in uh, populism 
And rightist populism is a change of this gender order. So if populists want, go, want to go back to the natural family, they don't want to go back to uh, 1900, and men ruling all over the place, being superior, what they want is this natural biological uh, difference. And only two genders, please. Not this confusing uh, diversity. So the gender culture has really changed in Germany and I think also somewhat in Japan. Uh, gender diversity is accepted. It is part of many enterprise plans under the headline of uh, diversity. I was talking to a woman in the Ford factory who is diversity office, and you know in Cologne, where Ford is based, you have carnival. So she and some other managers go on to the, uh, and they have the Christopher Street Day. So in this uh, context, they go out and they go out with lesbian and gay people of the enterprise and say, here we are uh, Ford, we are proud to stand with our workers, which, uh, yeah, I think is an institutional cultural change in some ways. We have an acceptance of homosexual partnerships, and now it's about uh, family and adoption. In the gender order, we can see, so gender culture has become diverse. This is my one contention and not in the dual sense anymore, men and women. The gender order, the institutional settings, the power relationships are really changing and women as well as gay people enter the public sphere and politics. In Germany we have 33% women in covenant and 36% in parliament. The division of labor has a Changed women enter uh, the labor market in large numbers, but they still have to shoulder the care work mostly. Some women even achieve high and uh, middle career positions. Some men get more interested in care work and can take education leave now. In Germany, this is more than 30% now of the men who take education leave. Yes, there is a big uh, trend towards low-paid, uh, irregular care work. So care work is not the housewife anymore, but it's a migrant female worker who comes in and does it under very precarious circumstances, but still being paid. We have a big trend, uh, flexibilization of the family. I go into that later. And also homosexual partnerships. Now. I've been talking mostly about Germany and a little bit about Japan, but now I would like to compare very shortly, and I ask your patience because we are doing the bird view again, uh, post-industrial welfare states. And I have two questions. Am I only uh, talking about some kind of loose idea? Or do we have empirical evidence for a flexibilization of gender? And the second, if we do, are there different past developments between the welfare states? And to go into that, I now invite you for some slides, uh, statistics which I put together with the OECD employment outlook. The problem is uh, there is a certain underreporting. So if you see, for example, NAS, uh, later in part time, 
This is different in Germany and Japan, I know, according to uh, national uh, statistics. But the OECD is the only database I know which really puts this together. So, well, what we can see is that um, women's economic activity was in a diverging uh, level in the 1970s uh, between Denmark and Sweden and Germany, for example. But with several steps, now it's, I think, very similar. I wouldn't make a big case between the difference of 6% or 3%. So in all post-industrial welfare societies I'm considering here, we have this convergence. And if we look at the types, we have the social democratic welfare states, like in Denmark and Sweden. We have liberal welfare states, which mostly uh, are coordinated by market uh, coordination like the US and Great Britain. And we have conservative welfare states where the uh, breadwinner housewife model is very strong, <coughs> used to be very strong. So if we look at social democratic, liberal, and uh, conservative welfare states, nearly everywhere women's ex uh, economic activity has gone up to 65 or 70%. Big change. How about part-time work? Um, it has increased, as you can see, in all um, types of welfare states. And the welfare states don't really absolute fit each other. It's lower in Finland than in Denmark or Norway, um, social democratic uh, welfare states. It's really high in uh, the United Kingdom with nearly 40%, but it's rather low in the USA. And in conservative welfare states like Germany and Japan, we can see it's pretty high. Uh, this is part-time work now as the most important irregular work form. Uh, if you look at uh, temporary work, you can see uh, this also is now a significant share. And um, if you um, add it together, you find that in most cases, a tempor uh, irregular flexible forms of wage work <laughs> are slightly under one-half or even a little bit over one-half. How about precarization in the context of flexibilization? The gender wage gap is still uh, remarkable. And you can see there is a share of low-wage workers, rather low, in Denmark. I am not sure if the category is just not being observed in social democratic welfare states, and if it's more or less behind the uh, shades, if it doesn't exist, or if it's just not being counted. But still, you can see this is rather low. If you look at low-wage work now in the uh, liberal welfare states, UK and USA, you can see it's more than one-fifth. And in Germany, it's uh, also uh, rather grown, up to, uh, I'm sorry, I wanted to say one-first, one-fifth. And in Germany, it's also about one-fifth. So this low-wage sector really has extended, and precarization is a big problem. And if you look at statistics of work starters, it goes nearly up to 40%. Newly employed young uh, workers, most of them have precarious conditions, um, limited contract, and uh, the low-wage sector is rather uh, strong in some groups. And now if you look at the family side, we can see that we have a strong uh, 
common trend, as you all know, in nearly all welfare states is that uh, the total fertility rate has receded very strongly. And Linda works so much about it. <laughs> so I don't, really don't really dare so much. But you can see um, there is a rather strong divergence that uh, it's not so um, a little higher in social democratic welfare states like in Sweden, Finland, in the UK, in liberal welfare states, and the USA also, it's just below uh, 2%, um, sorry, 2 per thousand. Uh, and then if we look at France, which is a conservative welfare state, it's rather high. And there's a lot of debate about that, why this is. And then again, in Japan and Korea, it's really low. So the former model of the woman being the housewife and mother has become very slim in reality. Now taking care of a child is maybe 20 or 15 years of um, life of 80 or 90 years. So this is not the full message anymore. But then it becomes very interesting. Uh, what kind of family? You can see that the flexibilization of family forms is rather strong in social democratic welfare states. In Denmark, more than 50% of the children are born out of marriage. These people marry maybe later, but uh, we have uh, several kinds of families. Some are born in married to married couples, others are born to uh, unmarried couples. So uh, marriage is not the obligation anymore. The trend is lower in UK and USA, in liberal welfare states. In Germany, again, we have a high, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, in France, we have a high share of births out of marriages. I was really astonished about that. And then in Japan, and uh, I put in Korea as an Asian, East Asian case of comparative, uh, it dwindles down to 1.2%. So this is the biggest divergence I found. We in diverse European welfare states, uh, children born inside of marriage, outside of marriage, it uh, is uh, in movement. In Japan, it's very clear children are born in marriage. And this is a very interesting. So you might even wonder if we do have a flexibilization of the gender order in Japan. I'm doubtful about it myself. <laughs> Yeah, and so I've looked first at diverse uh, flexibilization of work, then at two indicators, uh, birth rate and uh, birth born in marriage uh, for flexibilization of the family. And now, just to give you an idea that politics have changed, you can see that as well. It's under one half in social democratic welfare states, women in parliament, and in government in Sweden, even more than one half. In UK and in liberal welfare states, it's not so strongly pronounced. In Germany, I think we have a very special development path due to quotas and the Green and the Social Democratic Party. So it's a bit out of the model of conservative welfare states to have so many women in politics. In Japan, as you know, it is still maybe improvable, but uh, yeah. Okay. Now, I put two questions. Is there any empirical evidence for um, flexibilization of gender order? And if yes, is it different in welfare states? And I will now try to answer it very shortly. 
yes, there is in, uh, <laughs> empirical evidence. I hope I could convince you. Second is um, we have a general trend toward political and economic participation of women, transcending welfare states. The way this is articulated, the scope, that's different. But we have no post-industrial welfare state where you say it goes back. So more uh, the gendered boundary between public and private is eroding and being redrawn. We have more female public participation. And we also have more men maybe going into care work in some uh, social democratic welfare states. There you can even see it if you walk in the street. You see the fathers with the baby on the arm. And in some parts of Germany, you have the same impression now with the father and the baby. My son lives in Dresden in the alternative uh, quarter, and I counted, and about one half uh, of the people had a baby, and one of, half of these people holding a baby were men. So <laughs> in certain uh, milieus, this is happening now. But it's really hesitant in uh, liberal welfare states, and I guess also in Japan. The convergences and difference. Yeah, I already said we have a convergence in increased economic uh, activity. We have a strong divergence in view of uh, precarization. I try to show that it's high in liberal and conservative welfare gender regimes, and it's lowest in social democratic welfare regimes. Since Denmark was the only um, state where we could find uh, any number at all. But I don't think it will be organized on the black market in a very uh, high degree in Sweden or Norway. So precarization, the social democratic welfare gender regime seems to work against that. Increased uh, political participation, again we have divergence and I introduce that to you, high in social democratic states, low rather in conservative uh, welfare states. No clear picture in liberal and conservative welfare states. And we have a high uh, flexibilization and diversity of families in uh, European post-industrial welfare states and not in Japan and not in Korea. So let me come to the uh, last point. This movement does not only apply to gender. We do not have this dualism, man, woman anymore. That's what I'm trying to convince you. But women have different paths of life. And for men also, some different paths of life are opening up. But it also goes for gender and migration. And I was evaluating the census, the microcensus in Germany. And I found out that the dualist image of 30 years ago where you said Germans have good education, good jobs, migrants have little skill, little education, and bad jobs, doesn't hold at all anymore. In all groups of migrants, the high school uh, graduates' numbers, uh, shares, I'm sorry, the uh, shares of high school graduates have doubled. The Turkish, uh, the Yugoslavs, and so on, they have at least twice as much uh, abitur, high school degrees, as 20 years ago. And uh, the highest degree of high school uh, 
degrees now is with Polish girls. They have 50%, and German girls have 33%. So you see in education there's a lot of movement. There is one problem, though, that with Turkish boys and girls, which have a Turkish passport, about 50% only have elementary education up to class 10. One group has moved upward, has got many more high school degrees, and one group is being segmented at the floor. So this is a problem. And maybe uh, concordant to that, um, I was looking at different jobs, and we can see now that uh, German, the share of management jobs among German men is uh, 7%. And I said among Turkish men and women, education has moved on. The share of Turkish men with a German passport is the same 7%. And if you ask me, are these only people who work in a, a döner a shop and sell Turkish food? No. One half of, them, half of them are engineers and managers and so on. One half of them are small proprietors, small shop owners, things like that. But then also, we have uh, about 20% of Turkish women doing unskilled jobs. And these are Turkish women with a Turkish uh, passport, and this is just very... Uh, clear uh, inequality, only 6% of the long-term German women do unskilled jobs. So you can see gender comes together with migration status, and it means you do not have a career, but you stay in the same unskilled job for your life. So things are moving, but some things are also uh, still important. And what was surprising for me is that gender is so important in that. So for migrants, gender is even more important in shaping life uh, chances and careers. I come to the end. Dual inequalities, men, women, we foreign, are eroding, but we have more complex groups and boundaries. And we also have an, a deepening of inequality. We have the woman going on to management and the migrant woman cleaning her house and taking care of her children with no labor contract, with maybe a very low wage and no security at all. The main factors in this change are first, I think, the trends towards flexibilization and economization in global capitalism. The old idea of the German enterprise or the Japanese enterprise, where you go in as a young uh, man and you leave it at uh, 70 or 65 to go into pension and have a good pension, unfortunately is not uh, the large picture anymore. Flexibilization has extended to men, and therefore the breadwinner housewife model is still existing in social politics, but not in so much of the economy anymore. So this is economization and flexibilization in view of glo uh, com global competition and global capitalism human capital and skill formation promoted by the welfare state, but also because young women and young migrants, men and women, wanted to use these chances. 
they have invested so much into skill formation and they're trying to find that uh, rec uh, gains and recompense in the jobs now. And finally, women's movement and welfare state equality policies also have been very influential. Now, if we have more complex inequalities, not one group of men, one group of women, what does it mean? This does not mean that everybody has more freedom or that we truly have equality. It means it's more complex. It means people are more subordinated to discourses of institutions, like the labor market advisor telling you, how can I be uh, successful in the global company? All kinds of handbooks, so people try to adapt to this kind of their subjectivity, to this kind of diffuse issue. So I think we also have fragmentation. We have many groups now, which might be opposed to each other. So what I think is one of the future questions how to combine diversity, social cohesion, and social relations, time to have relations with other people, older people, younger people in the community, away from this economization and flexibilization of labor power, which in some time can mean you have to be on call all day, all night. How to have this uh, relationality and how to find good standards of social justice. I thank you very much. Now I would like to, um, Glenda to give her uh, comments uh, on the presentation. Thank you for your invitation uh, to, give, to have me give some comments on Ilse's paper. Uh, what I had was Ilse's slides, but it, it makes a big difference to have the glue of the words in between the slides, so I'm not sure if what I'm going to tell you now is exactly what you just heard, um, but I have a few comments. So um, it's so nice to have a chance uh, to hear Ilsa speak. Uh, we've worked on projects in the past, but we haven't had a chance to do this for a long time, so it's really nice to be together with her on the same um, panel. And Ilsa poses a big question. How can we analyze gender inequalities in modernity and, or modernities? Especially she's pointing to changes in the gender orders of post-industrial societies. These orders are transforming from gender as difference to more flexible gender orders. I think Ilsa would agree with me that this is in process, a transformation that is happening but in flux with many controversies surrounding it and differences in timing of transformation and outcomes due to cultural contexts. So while Germany and Japan look quite similar on the so-called difference-based gender order under Fordist and Toyotist capitalism, that was the one where she talked about the uh, breadwinner and the homemaker, right? uh, they differ quite a bit in the timing and extent of the transition to a flexible order Germany has perhaps a more open acceptance, for instance, of LGBTQ in the public, in workplaces, for instance. Uh, Germany has more political participation of women in politics, her slides showed. German women seem to have some similarities with Japanese women in the workforce, that is, mostly irregular and flexible workers, with some in middle to high career levels. 
But do they have an M curve of labor force participation? I'm, I don't know about that, and you didn't mention it, so I'm, I'm curious there. I believe German women also exceed Japanese women in terms of managerial levels in the workplace, but correct me if I'm wrong. As in Germany, though, some Japanese women have managed to achieve very high levels in the workplace, and this is what uh, the economist Tachibanaki points to as jojo kakusa, or the economic divide among women, and uh, points to it as a kind of uh, a problem, an issue that we should be concerned about. So on the one hand, um, these some changes in society and uh, legal reforms from over 20 years ago have allowed some women with the, who had the right circumstances to get their foot in the door and climb up in management. Um, but many women are now in, in you know, not very good jobs, um, contract jobs, uh, very flexible labor. Uh, they can't get, or if they lose or quit their first job, they can't get their foot back in the door. So you have very large uh, gap there. Ilsen noted increasing flexibilization and precarization of young job starters in Germany, and we say, see the same in Japan for both sexes, but it's only problematized for men, really, uh, who remain as the ostensible breadwinners in the cultural order. In terms of family diversity, most Western countries seem far and above more diverse than in Japan, where although the divorce rate has increased and single-parent families are on the rise, births outside of marriage are still extremely low, as you pointed out, at uh, less than 2%. The two-parent family model is still the normative model and is still favored by tax laws, while single-parent families have difficult economic circumstances and no breaks. So that's built into the social welfare regime that still favors the heteronormative family. Although I don't have statistics, it seems that in Japan, blended families are also rare. We have this word in, in uh, America called blended families. And what's a blended family? It's when you know a, a couple marries, they have a, one or two children, they get divorced, and then each of them marries, and you know they have shared joint custody, but then they each have children with the other new partner. And so you start having these families that morph into a very large kind of related who, family, but uh, with half brothers and sisters, and maybe even you know less. <laughs> it, it's um, a new development in the past 30 years or so. I mean, when I was growing up, there were no blended families in, in my little town in Massachusetts in the United States. I mean, and divorce was also very low, okay? Uh, that was in the 19, uh, late 1950s and 1960s, okay, in a very conservative small town, okay. Now it's nothing like that. I mean, or at least it's very, it's quite different than it used to be. So now we have uh, many kinds of family styles. So um, joint custody and divorce in Japan, though, is not an option. It's not a legal option. You can't tell the judge you want joint custody and, let, and he let, just says, okay, fine, you can have joint custody. No, one, it has to go, the custody goes to one child, or I mean, to one parent. Um, adoption of babies and small children is also not normative in Japan. And if, if also, then also, if you want to change your sex, 
on your official documents, you must have extensive surgery to render yourself infertile. If you want, if you really, I mean, you can, you can say you're transgender uh, without surgery, certainly, but if you want to change it on the koseki, that's another story altogether. So, in addition, gay marriage is not sanctioned, but the workaround there, I heard, is that gays and lesbians, uh, this, and one person told me this today, gays and lesbians here have a website that they can use to find a compatible match with the opposite sex while maintaining their LGBTQ status in private. So, so there are actually web, websites that you can utilize to find somebody who, so that you can still marry, but you don't have to marry somebody who is um, heterosexual. You can marry somebody who's also homosexual, and then, you know, family doesn't have to know, and you can go on with your life, and you can still get a promotion at work because you've married. You know, a lot um, men have, homosexual men have a hard time getting promotions at work. So um, if they marry, then that's another story. Um, and adoption of one's partner is another workaround here. So sometimes people adopt their partner. Um, Fufubese is still not legal, right? We've been fighting, I mean, Japanese women have been fighting so hard for many years now to try to um, change this, but they haven't, it hasn't been changed. Not for lack of effort trying. There are workarounds to some of these problems, including fufubese. There are workarounds to that, like divorce the person, remarry the person, divorce, remarry, you know. Um, so, but they're just workarounds. Uh, the inflexible koseki is at, is at the root of much of this. On the other hand, inflexible uh, koseki notwithstanding, it seems that at least physical violence against LGBTQ people is not present in Japan. I, I won't swear that there's none at all, but I don't hear about it. I don't hear about it. In the United States, it's very common. Physical, you have to be afraid for your life sometimes if you are LGBTQ. Um, so, next topic. The data on the social mobility of migrants in Germany is important and highly interesting. Scholars in the U.S., such as Jody Vallejo, who wrote Barrios to Burbs, have also found that education is the ticket to social mobility for the 1.5 and second generation of migrants, where in the U.S., the ones who succeed are often products of so-called gifted and talented programs at schools, so that even if one lives in a poor neighborhood, if a child is gifted intellectually, she might be selected for special programs and special treatment to groom her for success. And the interesting thing, I'm not using she and her um, for the heck of it. I'm using it because this researcher found that girls are more often selected to be gifted and talented. Uh, and then you might want to know, like, so wh why is that? And it's because little girls behave themselves better in the classroom. Okay? Little girls are more quiet, they listen to the teacher, you know, they do the homework, and the boys tend to be more rowdy, misbehave, you know, pull girls' hair, whatever. Um, so the girls are targeted more often. I thought that was fascinating uh, in her research. Anyway, I wonder how migrants in Germany manage to climb this ladder. Or perhaps there's less socioeconomic difference in the first place between migrants and German, you know, non-migrant Germans. Or perhaps the investment in each pupil is more across schools, because in the United States, 
um, it's not centralized. Education isn't centralized. And so if you live in a nice district and you pay lots of property tax, your school will be wonderful. And if you live in a poor inner city place, uh, the school isn't going to have that kind of money from the tax base. And although they will get some federal funding, it's not enough to make good schools. Okay. So, um, but you, probably in Germany you've got that figured out and you don't have that problem. Um, <laughs> anyway, it will be interesting to see how social mobility plays out for migrants in Japan. Although we're now only, migrants are only um, less than 2% of the population here. It depends on whether you include, you know, the, like tourists who are coming in or you, if you're just looking at people who live and work here. Um, and while officially Japan still does not have a plan for permanent immigration, I'm, although I'm waiting any day for them to say immigration, <laughs> it is forecast that this will change in the near future. It's forecast at least to some extent. Okay? So far, the language has been a big barrier to smooth entry into the society, uh, the, that is to say the Japanese language, and children of migrants from non-kanji cultures often have difficulty navigating the complexities of the Japanese examination system. For, and never mind nurses from the Philippines, right? <laughs> For, furthermore, qualitative research by Gennaro Castro Vasquez has shown that Japanese mothers perceive it unfair for children of foreign origin to receive extra tutorial help in Japanese. Okay, yeah. If and when it comes time for Japan to learn how to integrate migrants into the social fabric, one hopes that Germany and other countries of migration can provide some lessons in how to manage multiculturality well so that people feel comfortable with diversity. Okay, so I don't want to take up any more of your time, and I'll stop here, but I want to thank Ilsa for a wonderful paper that provides much food for thought on how the gender order is transforming in our societies. Thank you.